let's go ahead with our study tonight where we left off over a month and a half ago was the closing almost chapter of first samuel but i'm right now specifically uh endeavoring to encourage you in um just the the necessity of of specific areas our hearts need to be touched by right now so our text of scripture is going to be in matthew and i would like to anchor you in the title of today's teaching which is this in uncertainty be certain of god's authority that's your title in uncertainty be certain of god's authority and your anchor verse for that which is what i'm laying down is the basically the bedrock of all of the other scriptures we'll be looking at will be in matthew 28 verses 17 through 18 okay I'm going there right now. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew 28, verses 17 through 18, here's what we hear. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So we see the obvious right now that in the hearts of men and at times fear that drives us, there can be doubts which hinder faith. This is evident with what Jesus has said. But what he does is he overlays that and he dispels right now what is a misunderstanding concerning how they are to view their circumstance. There couldn't have been anything more exciting than right now seeing their resurrected Savior. Jesus had come from the tomb. He had been crucified. He was laid in a tomb for three days. He arose prophetically and precisely the way that he said he would. And so we know that right now this ought to be that kind of cloistering and, and fellowship that would encourage everyone just on sight. Remember, though, what's being emphasized is that there's worship that first is being promoted and doubts that seemingly then follow. And that can be always the case. My encouragement to us is we remain as worshipers because doubts will follow. So we want to maintain our worship of the Lord for precisely what we know has happened to us. And that is, oh, the stocks are falling. Oh, I'm hearing word that someone new is afflicted. It's taking longer for my employers to get back with me. All of the things that every one of us uh, can be desperate to get out of and doubtful that will we has to be anchored on the fact that worship is what establishes us in what Jesus has precisely said 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let's take a look and move back into the Gospel of Matthew just a little bit earlier. And so I'm going to direct your eyes to chapter 6. But I also want to help define for you what the title means. In uncertainty, be certain of God's authority. Certainty simply means this. It's established beyond doubt. And I like that. Because as worship is declared in that passage we just left, and yet doubts arise, you need to be able to say, this is established beyond doubt. He is authority, and it's all authority. It's not just some authority. It's not select authority. It's all authority has been given to him. Therefore, he is the one that authorizes everything that's large and the smallest of things that we would say are a nuance of change to do what we know he is capable of doing, and that's addressing needs. That the world may seem as though it's falling apart and we are finding ourselves challenged in our faith. God isn't. Because one of his attributes, chief, known to men, is faithfulness to mankind. All of us, really. Believers ought to know that with certainty and without doubt. So the first verse that I'd like to anchor us as well on, in chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 19, what do you do then? in uncertainty and yet wanting to be certain of God's authority. Here you go. I think it's aptly put. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is really a passage that speaks for itself beautifully and powerfully. But many people in today's world where the stocks were soaring, and I remember when, not having a clue about stocks, but remember when the world went bananas, when the stocks hit 11,000 unprecedented. And that has to be now like maybe 15 years ago. But the world went bananas at 11,000. It couldn't be any better. But then we moved into a recession, as I recall. It was a heavy one. And yet, over time, we saw recovery. People who invested in the world system took their lickens and perhaps didn't recover their portfolios. Some may have been able to, maybe a majority of them. There are risks in everything that we invest in on earth. 
There's no risk in investing everything that you have in heaven. It's a no-risk policy. You don't have to worry about a subtle disclaimer that, what? I would have worn my triple quadruple bifocals had I known that that was in the print. Who would have seen that? Who would have suspected that I signed on that line, but I didn't realize that's what they meant? Well, God gives us line upon line and precept upon precept of truth. And this Bible is full of not only realities of calamity, but even more so of great promises that encourage us through times of great testing. So with this, it's a perfect statement for us to re-inventory where have we been putting our trust? Have we invested? Now let me say this too. If you have invested in the kingdom of God, then I believe it's totally at your pleasure and your intelligence and prayerfully with wisdom that you're asking God to give you and how you may choose to divest, invest, to put resources into other things. I think that that is absolutely what God would say is your pleasure and privilege. If it honors him and it ultimately comes back as a dividend to you and you take that and you honor the Lord with what he has increased in your life, that's a reinvestment. In these days, these kinds of things which drive economics and money systems are the very things that create for the believer the dilemma of I don't have it or I'm afraid to give it. And I just need time to think about how to allocate my resources. Well, that's a test then. Jesus says here very clearly, if you're not going to have your heart set on the things of heaven, but rather laying it up on earth, you're going to inevitably see a moth to that fabric that you've woven around your life tapestry of glory that you can exalt in on what you've been allowed to do. You're going to see the evidence of rust. I've never seen more evidence of rust in my life than moving to Brookings. And when I saw that actually rust forms on fiberglass, I'm going, oh my goodness. And I've had warfare with rust, but I know that inevitably it will overtake the things that are on this earth and the things that I possess. There's a battle that I have right now with moth and rust. But there's no battle at all with the investments that I make in heaven. Anything that is an output on my behalf, and in particular, even the finances that are mine through God's provision to me, and anything that I've put my hand to, they're his. They're all his. Because he has all authority over everything that I have. He can move it away from me. He can lend it out on behalf of me. He can do whatever he wants because he authored my life and he's given authority to everything that I possess. So I don't want to be possessed by the possessions. I want to have governance that says... Lord, they're yours, how you choose to use them and how my trust can increase 
and that utter dependence that I have upon you. Also, there seems to be the threat of the thieves. So we have in today's society the world that's hacking into everything. We have that as something that also creates fear. We have systems that have been built up to protect those kinds of agents from working against us, but there's no guarantee that it couldn't happen. Identity theft has become one of the major thefts in the world system. Where's your identity? I'm not saying you couldn't suffer gravely by having the things that authorize your belonging to this country and to have that substantiated by banks being able to look into your, if you would, financial health. But this indicates that there is a thief. And if represented literally by someone who could break into your home, break into your account, there's one who can break into the souls of people's lives. That's Satan. We need to be able to say to those who do not have theft protection against that thief, that God has them covered. He is their security and their defense and the guardian of their lives, that no matter what happens, they will be with him forever in heaven where their treasury has been placed in faith. So I like what this says. It encourages me strongly. And therefore, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the test of where your treasure is, is how it breaks. When all of a sudden it's been broken into. So, can your heart break if your treasure is in heaven? I believe it can in the areas of sentiment. What the Lord is doing what you are required to suffer through, I believe that that is indeed something that we can suffer through. But the fact of the matter is here is that our heart is strengthened, it is enlarged, and it pumps for God. And it is the sign that no matter what happens to our earthly possessions, it's in God's keeping. It's all there in a manner and a means which we cannot even imagine, but that God as steward of whatever investment you've made to him will keep it. And the percentage of payout that he makes on everything that we give to him, bankers would not even believe because they couldn't even be in business to give out that kind of a yield to investors on earth. But God can. I'd like you to take a look at another area of scripture for your encouragement right now. In Matthew 6 as well, let's take a look at verse 25 for encouragement. So you invest in heaven. Refer back to this verse. You're anchored in the fact that Jesus has been given all authority, and that means everything. And therefore, in uncertainty, you can be certain in his authority, and that means you will be established in the promises of God without doubt. But I like this. 
It says, don't worry. We've had different groups throughout the years kind of encourage us in songs and facing off with the plights of our life at the time that we're moving through the younger years. Don't worry, be happy. It was a clever song and it actually caused the old smiley face to make its appearance once again, which was this yellow icon, simple two dot smile on this yellow globe. And it inspired a generation to be happy, to keep smiling. When God tells us to not worry, I think the expectation is that, would you keep smiling for me? You know how it is when you have an interaction with somebody and you want to be affirmed in that interaction, but all you're getting is a frown. You're fighting for some sign of encouragement to you by how they will engage you with their eyes and their smile. You want to see something that conveys life in the test, life in the fellowship. And that's the way that God feels I'm confident that as we are engaging in this life and as we are focusing on his purposes, it's not necessarily by just gritting the teeth, furrowing the brows and sternly looking at the situation. But I believe an active reverence in not worrying about God What's he going to do is to not worry, as God says. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Okay, so let's continue on with what he means by that. He then says, focus on the domain of my dominion. It's redundant. But we all have a sector of earth that he's given us a beautiful stewardship of. It might be your lawn, your neighborhood, the beautiful beaches that we can go to, the forests that we can walk through, the parks that we can camp at. We're to take an inventory of it because he says that in it, you're going to see how I take care of the smallest details. Way better than Ranger Rick. Right? Way better than the ordinances of park protection. Laws that keep us from defiling those national interests. Way better. I keep it all. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You are not, or are you not of more value than they? So any given morning, most of us can pull up the shades and throw up the curtains and we can step out and where there's a blade of grass, we can find a bird that's perched on it, has flown down to it, and they're pecking the earth for seed, pecking the earth for worms. It's God saying, see, I provided for them. And guess what they're doing? They're singing to me. 
We have a beautiful array of doves that fly. We have the squawking of crows. God cares for them too, the sparrows. We have a variety of birds that are testaments of God's provision in their time of need. They're waking up too. They want to sing for the Lord and God says, I'm going to feed you. But it is interesting that in all of the provisionary things that God satisfies for all of creation, there's an expectation. You know what it is? Come and get it. It's served. Come and get it. It's for you. I've made provision. Sometimes we've become very much acclimated to just being spoon-fed, much like babies. I believe a baby deserves to be spoon-fed. And maybe an emperor deserves to be grape-fed. But God says to the believer, I've made the provision, come and get it. So one of the things that we try to encourage people as pastors and teachers, in a relatable sense, everything that you are, we are. This is just a vocational gifting that God has put us into to bring a message of hope to you, is this. That we point you to the place in which the word becomes your heavenly food. From God's perspective, this word is as bread to you. It's as water to you. It's a sustenance that is divine and it practically somehow through the spirit gives a fulfillment that you can expect then manifests itself practically. Since we've come back from overseas, we have seen provision to our door, little opportunities that people have taken as we've quarantined in our homes. And it's been amazing, thrilling, to be taken care of by God. But I had to step out the door to bring in the provision. God did it. He touched people's hearts. He said, a banana for them, a box of cereal for them, a gallon of milk for them. But it wasn't sufficient enough to go, I hope God's going to provide for me. It says that he will. I had to open the door. I had to go either several steps from the door but either way I had to open that door and I had to apprehend it bring it in and then give thanks to the Lord he says don't worry nature shows you that I care for the smallest detail in your life and if you open your door to my heart you're going to see more clearly what it is I will do for you 10 times better than what the birds get. They're satisfied. They're singing for me, but I'll meet your need. And it's not simply going to be bird food. I don't want that kind of test, but I'm sure if I were that hungry, I would find bird food to be quite satisfactory. <laughs> Jesus says in this word right now. Just take a look. Not at the circumstance, but literally 
all of creation in spite of the circumstance is operating. Trees are green and clapping their hands. The surf is rolling in and the tide moves it out. Rivers are flowing. Oh, there are fluctuations and there are forests that in fact have burned down to bring opportunity for new trees to come up. We see the cycles. But God's asking us to take an inventory. Because he says this, the bottom line is, it's worrying. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? A common phrase has got to put on my big boy britches. I think I have become a big boy and I probably would say my britches are big. Bigger than they were when I was 30. But whatever it is that makes me bigger in stature in the thought of worrying, God would say it's not going to give you increase. The idea about worrying means that we're in a strategy building moment to come up with something that saves me, something that gives me this power, this fortitude. But I realize that to me, it's never what I thought it would be. I just can't rise to that occasion. The Lord says to all of us, great, then decrease that I might increase. It's not about putting your big boy britches on rich. It's about realizing how big I am. It's about the fact that you're robed in my righteousness. It's not about your britches. It's about my robe. You're robed in me. Stop worrying. And that requires of me the discipline of inventorying what he has said in all creation, what he's doing behind my back, in front of my face, over my head, beneath my feet. He's showing me. I need to inventory that. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He makes a comparison to a king whom he had anointed with wisdom beyond any man of his time and of yet anyone except Jesus. And the Lord literally makes this comparison saying, even the lilies have been arrayed in a manner greater than Solomon. That's extraordinary. And so now if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. It may be ambiguous. What does it mean? Does he mean practicality? I suppose we get to see what that means, right? But maybe one of the first areas that we need to start with is just saying, thank you, Lord, for clothing me in the robe of your righteousness. I wonder how often people thank him for literally being the one who established the most important fashion trend that could ever be admired 
and invested in. And that's the robe of his righteousness by invitation of our Heavenly Father. It says, you'll not find a man, woman on the face of the earth that has been robed like my son. Robed in the glory of God coming down from heaven to be robed in humanity. Not one who could have been robed finer. Not one who we would be able to say is better to invest in. His fashion line exceeds anything that has ever been admired from France, from New York to Hollywood. He has been the trendsetter sent from heaven to earth to put us in the best robe that could ever be put on us from the perspective of the Father. And therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the world seeks. Noted here is the Gentiles, those who are without God. The world seeks it. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He's not depriving you. He knows you need it. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's kind of an interesting closure, but it almost indicates that tomorrow has its own predicament. It has to worry about itself. I don't know what that means. Tomorrow being quite elusive, inanimate, and what we would define as having any ability to worry. But the Lord is saying right now that in this, tomorrow is going to worry about its own things. Meaning, let it do its thing. You do my thing. Worship me. Trust in me. Believe in me. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That would be short to simply say this to us. Don't trouble yourself about the sufficiency of a day in its troubles. Trouble will trouble itself. Maybe that's a better word. But trouble is not to trouble you. It's not pulling out a Simon and Garfunkel record and playing like a bridge over troubled waters. Rather, it's simply taking God at his word that as you worship him, you can trust him for making provision in everything that right now deflates you and perhaps provokes a temperament concerning you. We've got to do it. Just hold up the word of God. So going back to how our promise was, he's been given all authority and therefore in uncertainty, be certain of God's authority. You will not question it. You will not doubt it. Invest in heaven. That's what God says to do. It's important. Don't worry. Worship. Matthew 7, verse 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. That's a great promise there. When I look at that, I see that I must be engaged. If I'm going to ask, I need to use my mouth. If I'm going to seek, I must have my eyes open. If I am going to knock, I need to use my hands. Though this is a spiritual invitation for a practical address, it engages me. I need to simply be obedient. How do we ask the Lord? Well, we ask him in faith and we ask him in humility and we ask him with expectation. How do we see? We ask the Lord, open my eyes, Lord, that I might see what you display. What are we to handle? We're to handle in faith the invisible. To believe as if we have received them, Lord said, and you shall have them. Well, I need to have them in order to believe. I need to see in order to express my gratitude. How about exercising your faith? The assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Romans 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 11, 1. Classic. Encouraging. But the Lord would say to us, hey, how long has it been since you've talked to me about your needs? Specifically, talk to me about your needs. How long has it been that you've asked me to open your eyes? So we all have that to inventory. What are our eyes on? So prayerfully, what we can say is my eyes are on the Lord. Truly, my eyes are on the word. Truly, my eyes are expectantly on the belief expressed in faith that I'm just about ready to see what he's doing. And so what happens when in your asking he responds with what you requested. What happens that with your eyes open you see what you had believed? What happens that with your hands it grips that which was promised to you? You say, praise the Lord. You are faithful God in all your ways. You are good in all your ways. So every single one of us have an opportunity to take the smallest provisionary acknowledgement that God has given to us and we can turn it into a worship service. You can get into your car and you can say, Lord, you've given me the means by which I travel and I thank you for that. You can take note of the fact that automobile accidents still will happen but you have not been in one yet that has claimed your life or someone else's. Maybe you have, but God has allowed you to come from that it does not, by any means, suggest in anything that's being shared right now that there are not difficult times tested in sentimental loss. It does happen. But what we don't do is blame God. We worship the Lord, and prayerfully, with what it is we know, we worship Him in advance of the next second, or minute, or hour, or week, or month, or day. I want to be out of this predicament that we're in. Why? Because my heart is set on pilgrimage to be a part of the house of God. As a pastor, that's where my heart's at. I love to be in church and I love to see people at church. 
And I am truly praying, and I think we ought to, that we are going to have an opportunity to see a resurrection day, an Easter morn, in which there is a breakout ordained by the government, <laughs> allowed and permitted. Hopefully the National Guard will not be blocking us. You know, we're going to do what it takes to honor our government. We can still have a worship session here, but wouldn't that be wonderful if that upon that day the doors are sanctioned as being open? The government and state are encouraging us, saying, yeah, we've got the paradigm wrong. We need the church on the front line. We need you guys as responders. We need you guys to call upon the Lord for salvation, deliverance. Open those doors. Fill up those pews. Stand up for God. Pray for our nation. That is what I think would be awesome. And the vanquishing of this disease and something extraordinary with regard to the undeniable that no one, no nation, no president, no whatever, prime minister, no queen or king, no one can take credit but God. Isn't that an exciting thing to look forward to? That in April 12th, I think it is, we would be free to come out into the light and proclaim the light. I think that that is very exciting. So with your mouth and with your eyes and with your hands, apprehend. Be encouraged. Closing, Matthew seven twenty four. I find to be equally a charge for me as well as for you. In these uncertain times, I need to be wise on what it is I'm building on. And so in the 24th verse of chapter 7, it says you're to build upon the rock. This is Jesus speaking. Let's take a look at what it means. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. You want to be a wise man and a wise woman? Then what you're hearing from the Lord on broadcasts such as this, on other radio stations, what you yourself are hearing from the Lord by His Spirit in your personal times of interacting with Him in prayer, this is it. You're a wise man if you do what you hear from me. Likened, he says, as one who builds his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fail. But it was founded on the rock. Well, you see just below that that somebody else has an idea of building too. And we're not given any distinguishing difference between how they're building their homes except what they're building their homes on. In other words, all things being the same, we can say they both built their mansions. They both established a protective enclosure for their families, for their welfare. But the difference was what they chose to build on. The second, it says, is likened to the one 
in which hears these sayings of mine and does not do them. Verse 26. And he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching. And he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. We already declared that at the close of Matthew 28, as he declared that he had all the authority. But the contrast is important to the close of this teaching. Every single one of us have an opportunity with these hands to build something that ultimately is the investment that as a treasury is being given to God. We have the opportunity that in that giving and in that investment to pay attention to the fact that Jesus says, don't worry, worship. Look at what I've done in your life, your past deliverances, your present predicament, my future promises. Don't worry. Ask me. Seek for me. Knock. Open that door. It's going to be there for you. And the admonition. Henceforth, whatever you build, you build it on my foundation. The foundation that is the rock is as what he has declared himself to be in scriptures. The rock of our salvation. I will take you to Deuteronomy 32. And here's what a people did not get, though they were very aware. In chapter 32, picking it up at verse 29, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had surrendered them? For their rock is not like our rock. This has kind of a double-edged sword to it, the admonition in which the only way that anyone could achieve in battle the putting to flight of others adversarially is by the rock that guarantees victory. God wanted to be revealed to his people as the rock of their salvation. And in my overseas experience, what extraordinary things could be done by the skilled artisanship of craftsmen who could quarry rock and by God's anointing, cut into that rock and carve it into perfect cubicles, squares, ovals, triangles, and make them fit without almost a paper width of space between them, mortaring them, as perfect as any plumb line or laser could draw. It is amazing. 
But I noticed this, that in all of those constructs, those builders established those fortresses on rock bases so high that you would go, how is it possible? They could have had other options. They didn't want other options. They wanted a rock foundation and they wanted to quarry the stones that would go up there and ultimately build these massive fortresses. God doesn't want you to take any other option right now on building your faith on anything less than the rock, which is Jesus, the rock of your foundation. Because both being the same, we can presume that, one, by virtue of what it chose to build its house on, fell. There wasn't the ability for that foundation to hold up the massive weight of that home. So even though for a moment it was secure when the storms came, it became unstable and insecure and he lost everything. Don't allow that to happen to you. Let's not allow that to happen. Let's be encouraged by the things that we saw revealed in this, I think, just pertinent set of parables to us that in uncertainty be certain of God's authority. Let it be established in your heart without doubt. I'm going to pray for us right now, encouraging you to direct uh, in the closing of your evening your heart to the Lord. Rally the healthcare providers right now. Ask God to cloak them in a protective garb by His Spirit that allows them to minister being taxed, I know that they would be, and around certainly viruses that could infect them. Pray for our executive branch in the read of what we, I believe, will be told to do. But I think most importantly that those who govern over us are asking themselves, huh, I'm not sure if I've gotten everything right on this. It's time to come back to God who is right about everything. And that we as a church can be released to do what we're called because I personally believe we're first responders. So continue to be on the front lines of faith by praying in these times of being cloistered away. And when there's opportunity to gather, even if it's creatively as we did on Sunday in automobiles, and you can face towards that church and you can show a solidarity, take advantage of it. Okay? Take advantage of it. If you can't, that's fine. But tune in. Stay connected. Read the word.